Okay, friends, we are back for our second episode of this week, fresh off the Pro Wrestling Eve extravaganza, where we got to meet podcast guests Shoko Nakajima and Emi Sakura. What a treat that was. The Wrestling Podcast has returned with a special interview episode, something a bit different outside of the norm for what we normally do with speaking to a non-wrestler, but somebody who is integral to the Japanese pro wrestling scene. I'm sure you'll agree. We're speaking to the legendary Mr. Haku this week. I'm really, really excited for you guys to hear this one. So welcome back to the wrestling podcast. It's wrestling spot W-R-S-T-L-I-N-G. It's all of the grams, but without the E. Of course, me and G, we're not anti, we're simply pro wrestling. My name is Liam. This guy is Gareth. Hey! And folks, we appreciate your company. G, you pumped up for this one? Yeah, definitely. Really enjoyed just to pull the curtain back a little bit. I wasn't able to make this interview, so it's just Liam and Mr. Haku. Um, but I have sat and edited it last night, and yeah, I I thought this was an absolutely fascinating chat yeah he's, he's an interesting guy yeah really sad after the fact to you know well it was sad to have missed it anyway but extra sad to have missed it after listening to sort of what a nice conversation it was too well i'm hopeful that we can do this more regularly that would be yeah. really good so fingers crossed let's not be around the bush let's throw it over to the interview right now with mr haku Okay, thanks, Gareth. And here we go. As advertised, we've managed to secure an interview with somebody that I know a lot of you are really keen to hear from, and I'm excited to have this conversation. He's been on the podcast many times before, but this is the first time where we're telling his story, which is great news. Uh, It's Mr. Haku. Welcome back, sir. Thanks for having me. And I am here to break your record for lowest number of downloads today. We'll see how this goes. (laughs) I mean, you guys... You, you guys are out of your mind. I, you know, by definition, a translator is not the main act of any interview. And I have no reason why you came to the joint decision to have me on as your guest. But I'm here and uh, too late to send me off. Yeah. I'm, I'm amazed that you haven't been asked before because you're so prevalent on the scene, you know, particularly for international fans. You know, everybody well, knows who Mr. Haku is. I have had some interviews, but it just never felt right for me to accept one while, especially while I was working at Cyberfight because I wanted the wrestlers to get the spotlight. But uh, I, I guess I now do see a point in how me being better known could potentially help other wrestlers get uh, the spotlight from the international fan base. So yeah, I guess you convinced me into taking this interview. Well, I hope you won't live to regret it, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll keep it nice and simple. But yeah, I, it, just touching on what you just said there, though, I do think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I always get the sense that a lot of what you do is with the wrestlers in mind or the wrestlers at heart. You know, Do you feel at this stage that there's a, not a duty, but do you feel that's kind of a purpose of yours to, to, to help shine a light on some of these some of these wrestlers that are less well-known in the West? Well, first and foremost, at least not now, I don't see wrestling as a money-making venture for a translator. So my work has always kind of been pro bono in nature in that A, I wanted the international fan base to get better access to wrestlers and uh, provide them with more opportunities to support the wrestlers, uh, both morally and financially. And then on the flip side, I always wanted wrestlers to be able to have a bigger fan base, especially overseas, 
having seen success stories like when New Japan first uh, gained a ton of international subscribers when they had uh, Chris Jericho on, I believe, their uh, Wrestle Kingdom mm-hmm. event. And also, you know, on a personal basis, uh, I've seen the success of Maki to where she was able to completely turn her life around by gaining an international fan base. And mm-hmm. I see the potential there for wrestlers to be able to uh, succeed more uh not just in terms of being more famous and uh, but also being more financially successful that they can focus more on, you know, even spending more time with wrestling and their fans. As you know, many wrestlers in Japan uh, and uh, independents internationally, you know, can't make a a living solely on wrestling. Mm. But once they are able to do that, it improves their, uh, match quality in ring and you know if they can succeed at, uh, it leads to better production values not just from the wrestlers themselves in terms of gear for example but also with promotions so you know if a promotion is able to grow by gaining a bigger international fan base in turn it will lead to better production values that will benefit the domestic fan base too so um I try to do what I can, you know, so long as it's financially sustainable. I think it is goes it, for a lot of podcasters like you too. I think it's the same deal where, you know, most of it is a passion project where you're trying to do something for the fans and the wrestlers absolutely. and not necessarily for yourselves. No, no, 100%. And, you know, I find that more and more these days, you know, we, we stumble across things that we like and we just want to broadcast it or shine a light on it amplify it's probably the best word in fact so no, mm-hmm. i get that 100 do you get a sense that language is becoming sort of a more important facet for the japanese pro wrestling scene you know are more wrestlers considering learning english on the back of those successes that you mentioned earlier yes definitely um Back when I was a kid, when it, uh, which was a long time ago, if you wanted to become a wrestler, <laughs> the, thing, the thing you wanted to do is you wanted to do either uh, amateur wrestling or judo. See, that was like in the 80s. And then it, it gradually evolved into, you know, some kind of gymnastic activity when uh, the junior heavyweight high-flying style became more prevalent. And right now it's ironic almost that the, you know, if I were to give any advice to anybody that wanted to become a wrestler, the two biggest things I would tell them to tackle is video editing and English language. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Shrewd, shrewd advice there. Yeah. Because uh, a, the, well, the Japanese economy is shrinking. The population base is shrinking. Uh, the average age is getting older and older. And just in ter- terms of market potential, being able to speak English, especially with the advent of the internet, it's just so much more important. The potential fan base is so much larger in the English speaking community as opposed to, you know, the Japanese language, which, which is only spoken in Japan. The market is mm. just so much smaller. So, you know, just from a pure finance slash economics standpoint it's just so much more important to be able to speak english so gareth and i have both been trying 
and I, I used the phrase lightly, I guess, tr trying to learn Japanese, and I'm going to really pour myself into that this year. But it's tough, man. You know, I speak pretty good Spanish and French, and I found those quite easy to pick up. But Japanese, I found a real challenge thus far. Does it work the same in reverse? Is that your experience that, you know, the Japanese have a hard time with English or is it is it a slightly easier pickup? Yes, because just linguistically, it's just based in different languages, English, Spanish, you know, it's all Latin based. You share vocabulary uh, in Japan, I guess, you know, the comp comparable is Chinese where we share some kanji characters. Mm. But, you know, just fundamentally, the roots of the languages are so different that um, it's just so much more uh, difficult to learn one or the other. From Japanese to English is easier because simply because you have fewer alphabets as opposed sure. to the characters in Japan are so much more uh, diverse. There's three different sets of alphabets or characters that you have to learn from which already is, you know, that much more difficult. And yeah. we in Japan are faced with English, at least words. You know, for example, pro wrestling is an English word. So hmm. there are words in the Japanese uh, language that are familiar enough to the Japanese that have originated from English. But I don't think the opposite applies. When you're an sure. English speaker, you know, how many Japanese words do you know? Maybe, you know, 10 at most. And yeah, half of them are yeah. probably wrestling move names anyways, right? More or less, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. Well, at least it's not, you know, it's not just us struggling. That's good to know. Yeah. Uh, I'll take that on my lonely Friday evenings trying to learn. So let's dial this back a little bit and talk about your origin story, if you like. So how did you... But what was your first exposure to wrestling and how did you get involved? Okay, so uh, this, again, is going to date me. But back in my childhood, wrestling was on uh, terrestrial TV. So, you know, during like peak hours, so it was easier to access. So it was just like, you know, soccer or baseball is just something that's always on TV. But uh, so, you know, I always casually watched, but... My moment came, I believe it was 1990, May of 1990. Uh, Mitsuharu Misawa was still Tiger Mask 2 at the time. And one day on TV, I just saw him remove his own mask, which, you know, to the best of my knowledge, that was like the most taboo thing to do for a mask wrestler to reveal his sure. face. And he was doing it himself. And this was 1990, no internet at the time. So... I ran to buy uh, Shupro, the weekly pro wrestling magazine, to figure out what happened. And then ever since I've been hooked and I have never miss missed an issue of Shupro for over 30 years. Oh, wow. Even, what, even when I was in the States for college, I would have my dad buy copies and stack them in my room. And every uh, summer or winter break, when I go back to Japan, I just spend like an entire day or two going through like all of the episodes that have been uh, stack stacked up in my room. Oh, amazing. Okay. So you, were you a, a bit of a tape trader then at that stage? No, not really, because we didn't have to trade tape. It was on TV and uh, like our, 
rental video stores. I hate where this conversation is going because every everything I say, you know, dates me back to the 80s and 90s. But yes, I would go to the rental video stores and they would have an entire shelf of pro wrestling videos. So really? Oh, wow. Gosh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I remember the blockbuster in the UK, you know, you get the odd like one or two maybe WWF ones, like a mania or something, but never anything extensive. Right. You know, because particularly when I was a child, there was only All Japan and New Japan and then, you know, WWE and maybe a little bit of WCW. So there there weren't a multitude of promotions until, you know, the mid-90s when FMW came out and then, you know, a whole bunch of, promotions branched out from the major promotions so it was a lot easier back then you said you spent some time in america yes i went to college in the states and is that sort of where had you already were you already fluent in english by then or well, is that where my like- entire education was in english despite living in japan because i'm not a japanese national and i went to an international school oh okay i see so my first language at school was English. My second language was French. And I just picked up Japanese from reading comic books and the weekly pro wrestling magazine. Wow. Gosh. Okay. That's amazing. Well, well, at least I lived here. So, you know, there was Japanese all around me. So that definitely helped. But I did not get any uh, formal Japanese language education. Gosh, that's incredible. I, I would never have guessed that. Yeah, people always tell me that my English is great because they think I'm Japanese. But, you know, in reality, it's the other way around where (laughs) English is my first language. And I tried very hard to uh, learn my Japanese. God, that's amazing. And you mentioned French as well. Do you still have a bit of French to you? I have enough French to translate before in Neo Bishkigun when uh, Hyper Misao was Misao and she turned (laughs) bad for a while. uh, she had a habit of randomly tweeting out in French. So I have, in, I had enough French in me to translate that back into Japanese or English for the fan base. Oh, great. That's, a, that's such a good reason to have to use your French. <laughs> to date, I, I spent nine years uh, learning French. And to be, to be perfectly honest, Niobish Gigun is the only time I've ever put my French to any good use. <laughs> yeah no fair enough fair enough um i think i learned it at school and i barely used it at all so yeah i can understand where you're coming from so in terms of getting into translation when did that start well uh long story short i went to college and then i went into finance and i did that for nine years until i was 30 oh wow and then uh you know, this is going to get uh, a bit morbid, but I had a very unique uh, sense of mortality. Um, many people around me passed away at a very young age, including my parents. I've had a couple of near-death experiences myself. And uh, as a result, I, you know, my motto became, you know, enjoy everything while you can. So mm. I quit my job at 30 and I went through my bucket list very early in life. And by the time I was 40, I had almost experienced everything I had wanted to. And uh, after that, I said, okay, well, I thought I would die very early, but 
I was very healthy at 40 and I found the need to start working again. But then by the time that came around, I didn't want to do something where I had to commute or even get out of my house. So I said, okay, well, if I go into translation, then I would never even have to leave my house or my kotatsu, which is a Japanese table, basically, with a futon blanket over it and a heating device inside. So in the winter, oh, you would wow. just sit in there and you, and you would not want to leave. Right? So I said, okay, so I'm not going to leave my kotatsu. I'm going to do everything in this table under my futon. So that's why I named my uh, business Kotatsu Studios, because everything oh, I create okay. would emanate out of my kotatsu. So basically, the only time I would leave the house is for for business purposes was for wrestling. And then outside of wrestling, I only accept projects that don't require me to leave my kotatsu. <laughs> like literally. That sounds like a good way to be, to be honest with you. Why would you want to leave? Exactly. But that has worked for me. So I do non-wrestling translations too, but wrestling you know, is the most fun part of my job. Definitely. So do you, what was the first um, wrestling gig that you, that you had? Okay. So uh, I mentioned I was in finance, but uh, when I talked to one of my former bosses, after I started my translation business, he came up to me and said, well, uh, do you still, in-? he's also a wrestling fan. And, you know, he told me he was having dinner with Sanjiro Takagi in a week and asked me if I wanted to join, uh, see if there's any uh, business opportunities. So I was like, yes, of course. So, and uh, so the dinner happened. I went in, I made a big presentation on how wrestling promotions needed to go global. This was over, you know, maybe a bit over five years ago. Oh, wow. And uh, that turned into official business presentation a few days later and then I got a job on the spot I I should say I got a job basically they became a client of my translation business right so you know I wasn't their employee or anything but you know things evolved very quickly to a point where I was carrying around a uh, cyber fight or DDT back then a business card as if I were one of them because I was so involved with uh, everything that was going on. I Gosh. started as a producer of their, uh, we had what we called the DDT English recap. It was a recorded recap of Koraku and shows with English commentary from the foreign wrestlers that were there at the time, uh, such as Mike Bailey, et cetera. But then uh, very quickly, they came to the decision that it was much easier for me to just be the on-screen personality, the host, per se, with a guest wrestler. And we had, you know, aside from the aforementioned uh, Mike Bailey, we had, uh, you know, quite a round of uh, commentary guests like Colt Cabana or Sammy Guevara, a lot of the guys you see in AEW right now, whenever... They would do tours with DDT. They would also guest ho- uh, be a guest on the English commentary program, very much like what Chris Brooks does right now. And then after that, you know, I started doing translations at uh, press conferences or working for their English media team. I shouldn't say English media team because that was essentially just me. But and then you know, once Wrestle Universe started promoting their business to the international fan base. I was all over that too. 
So basically, you know, if there was anything that involved English, I was uh, the person behind the scenes doing that at Cyberfight. That sounds like very much a full-time job. I mean, what what, what were your favorite aspects of it? Because I, I, I personally really enjoy your commentary. Um, you know, was that something you were, you were into doing? Uh, the live translation was always fun. Uh, the uh, one interesting bit uh, behind that was that I always did the unofficial Twitter account, DDT slash TJPW English update was always an yeah. unofficial Twitter because that was a personal project of mine. And uh, also I want, I thought it would be better to keep it unofficial because by the nature of DDT, there is always the risk of the Twitter account getting suspended for, <laughs> you know, various reasons. And, yeah, I, yeah. and I thought it would be a bad look on the company if, uh, you know, their official Twitter account got suspended for their own content. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I thought well, I would, I myself would have, you know, more leeway to be, liberal or you know free to do what i care to do with the under the unofficial banner so yeah so that was just me being myself and me being my own censor of course you know there was nobody else speaking english in the company so i you know i was the judge on what is okay and not okay so you were so, essentially operating sort of with impunity like nobody was there wasn't any oversight to to that account no, because nobody would understand anything that would uh, be tweeted out in English. So Did they acknowledge you know, it by sort nature. Of behind the scenes? Were they aware that, you know? No, no. It was unofficial but authorized is I was see. the tagline, <laughs> right? So because uh, there was this one time I had been running the account anonymously for a f maybe two years or so, and then there was this one time where I uh, brought a live camera into the venue and streamed live on Twitter with uh, just following Takagi-san around on camera. So from that point on, it you know, I would never let it be official, but it was authorized by the company. When did you start to kind of become aware of the impact that account was having? Because that grew and grew and grew and really for a lot of people that's the that's the gateway into ddt and and then tjpw were you mindful of that from the start or was there a particular point where you started to realize wow this is this is actually having a material effect uh, that's a good question i somebody i opened the account very quietly one day at a ddt Ryogoku show i believe it was march 2018 but somehow people found out that I was live tweeting from the venue and uh, explaining everything that was going on. A lot of which is a mystery to, you know, DDT fans from overseas. Yeah, and then, truly. you know, I got, I don't know, maybe 200, 300 followers like on the day of. And uh, back then I thought, you know, that was a big number, but the numbers just kept growing, especially after I started covering Tokyo Joshi. Because that's also a huge, uh, they also have a few huge uh, international following. 
Mm-hmm. I saw that uh, DDT's fan base would start following me a lot more with their big shows because, you know, DDT's big shows, A, they rarely miss, but B, there's usually a lot of shenanigans going on that are hard to understand without context. So people would uh, come in, follow me to figure out what would happen. And then with Tokyo Joshi, I think it was just a more steady growth where, you know, a lot of the core fans would come and, you know, try to understand what Hyper Misawa was saying on the mic, for example. Mm-hmm. Or more recently, every time I do a live translation thread with Tokyo Joshi, the biggest number of likes would come usually to Raku's train of the day, which which just boggles <laughs> my mind. I, I have no idea why that concept is so, you know, aside from the fact that Raku is, you know, truly a blessing is extremely fun to watch, but her train of the day tweet is usually the most popular tweet that I make during the day. And I just don't understand why, what is going on. Do you think the other company at this point, because I, you know, I've spoken or I've had the pleasure of interviewing um, President Kagi a couple of times, um, and both times he's been quite strong on the desire to expand internationally and cater to the international market. With mm-hmm. the the wackier segments, you know, are they sort of mindful that of how they're going to come across to to the international fans, particularly now that you're not doing what you did before in terms mm-hmm. of uh, decoding it effectively? To the best of my ability, no. Um, this was a, uh, I think it was very representative in how DDT approached their New York show in mm. 2019. Um, it was That was a time when uh, I recall a little bit before that New Japan had one of their first uh, US shows. And uh, I think Tanahashi wrestled Billy Gunn. Oh yeah, and, absolutely, yeah. And and you know, I believe New Japan was trying to cater to the US fan base and it probably got the opposite response of what they were expecting. I believe sure, that the yeah. US base fan base was uh expecting a genuine representation of what New Japan was in Japan. So basically, you know, another Tokyo Dome show or another Korakuen Hall show would be a more, you know, genuine approach to what they truly are. And that was the lesson I particularly uh, learned watching that show. And uh, we decided that the DDT New York show was going to be, you know, as close to what people would experience in Korakuen Hall as much as possible. And, you know, not bring in a special outside guest just for that occasion, what we did, you know, the uh, the foreign wrestlers that were on the show were all wrestlers that had previously been in Japan in DDT. So, you know, there was no new debuts or one-time only guests. And uh, I think that's the approach that uh, DDT has uh, right now in general towards the international fan base. Of course, they are very aware that there is a growing fan base. And of course, they understand that uh, the political correctness or sensibilities are different. But I don't think they want to, 
change who they are for that particular reason. I think they're trying to find a sweet spot where they can still be themselves and have the international fan base enjoy what they originally fell in love with. That makes perfect sense because you're right. You want that authentic experience. So yeah, I, I completely get that. Um, right. Let's pause for a second and dive into some sillier questions here. Oh no. Um, we're, oh no. We're keeping a running tally of all of our guests' favorite pizza. I don't know if you had a chance to catch the Mesa interview from uh, last week, but my, oh my, I think May took the cake for the weirdest one yet, which sounded like a mashed potato pizza. Never heard of anything like it. <laughs> but actually, you, um, that is one of the pizzas that I bring to Ichigaya the most. Is it really? Gift. Yes. <laughs> It, it it's, certainly divided yeah. our listenership, that's for sure. <laughs> it's mashed potatoes on a mayo base with like bacon or sausage with it. Wow. Wow. It is yeah. delicious. It is delicious. It's it'll be on my list to try, albeit I need a vegetarian yeah. version. But yeah. <laughs> I always at least bring two pizzas there. And then the other pizza is my favorite, which is a barbecue chicken. So they use a barbecue sauce, the sweet barbecue sauce, instead of instead of the tomato sauce. Uh, okay. Oh, yes. As and, the base. Yes. And then there's Ooh. grilled chicken on top with cheese. So that's my favorite. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you entirely. That sounds like the kind of thing I would have gone for before turning vegetarian. Um, in fact, my mouth is watering. Um, okay. Let's move on <laughs> from that. Um, so... 7-Eleven, what are your go-to snacks of a day or an evening? Well, uh, you know, now being very middle-aged and, you know, skewing towards being just outright old, I don't go for, like, the fatty stuff as much. I do love their burritos, but my go-to right now is just apples. Um, They have peeled and cut apples that are you know ready to go ready to eat in a bag peeled apples yeah peeled you know cut and peeled so like you don't need to do anything you just take a toothpick and just pick out the apples and eat them ah okay interesting i like the sound of that um what about karaoke are you a fan um actually uh when i was in high school the three jobs i considered were a uh, kindergarten teacher, a wrestler, and a singer. So I have been singing. I had been singing from when I was in first grade in elementary school all the way through college. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, so I've been on TV more than a few times. I've sung for Michael Jackson when he did a tour in Japan. So he was the one no sitting way. down and I was the one singing, which was weird. But yeah, so that happened when I was like eight or nine years old geez that's amazing yeah and if you know the uh japanese actor masioka he was one of the characters in the tv series heroes he's the guy that oh, okay Heta. right so when i was in uh college i you know, i was in the same acapella group as he was so you know huh. we used to do tours along the uh east coast of the united states etc so that definitely was one of you know my career choices back when i was in high school 
Oh, wow. Okay. Mm. Well, that's very good. So, I mean, it, it sounds like karaoke might actually be a little bit beneath your, your skill level here. But I mean, no, no, you... no, 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 no. <laughs> I definitely enjoy it. But uh, right now, you know, with COVID, there's a lot less karaoke going on. But whenever I go, it's usually with Chris Brooks. And uh, he usually chooses all the songs that he wants okay. to hear. And, you know, I just go along with whatever he does. But it's usually some anime song or some pro wrestlers entrance theme what's your go-to if you were if you were picking the songs what would you go for uh, i get a lot of can you sing an english song right like when i go with right. japanese people so uh when that happens i usually go for stuff that's easy for them to you know, songs that they would know. So it's usually be like a Aerosmith song or a Bon Jovi song or although I was a Catholic choir boy um, <laughs> when I was a kid. Yeah. I, yeah, I do tend to go for, you know, I, I would also go for uh, Chris Jericho, a Fozzie song. Oh yeah. But nice. it's just, they just, they just don't have it in Japan. It's not in right. the karaoke machines, right? So, who, when you've attended with wrestlers, who would you say is the who's got the best singing voice out of all the wrestlers you've attended with? Mao's pretty good. Is he? Yes. Oh, nice. Uh, I think he actually plays in a band too. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, as one of his like side projects. Very cool, and I can't help but pick up on you mentioned that you'd considered wrestling yourself did you ever pursue that at all well actually i had been uh practicing judo ever since i was six years old but then when i uh when i was in eighth grade when i saw misawa remove his mask i converted to amateur wrestling because that was the way to go you know to become a wrestler when you were a kid back Mm. then and then uh Actually, I wanted to become a wrestler so bad that I spent, uh, you know, I put a lot of effort into it, so much so that uh, my knees and my neck were busted up uh, by the time I was 17. And, you know, I wasn't cleared by doctors to wrestle, but I, you know, I I still did. And I ended up becoming a uh, Far East Asia amateur wrestling champion in high school. So I competed internationally, but, you know my knees and neck were really busted up. And then on top of that back then, so if you wanted to become a wrestler, the only two routes to, effectively, to go effectively were All Japan or New Japan. But mm. they both had height limits. You had to be 180 centimeters or, t- or taller t- just to take a test, which I was not. So, you know, I couldn't even take a test. So I had to give up right there for the time being. I and see. I said, I yeah, well, and I was accepted into, you know, a pretty good college in the U.S. So I decided to, you know, keep pursuing my education and said, you know, maybe I'll have a chance to do something in the future with wrestling. And, uh, you know, it did happen that way. You know, I'm in wrestling now. So, you know, in a different form. But have you ever been tempted never to know. try and sneak on like a Purge show or something like that? Well, the Ironman Heavy Metalweight Championship is always something I you know, I peek at every time at a, I'm at a press conference, you know, there's, a, there's been a couple of times when, uh, 
Chris is sitting there doing a post-match interview, just exhausted and, you know, barely able to move with the Ironman title on his shoulder. And I'm like, is there a referee around? So, you know, that has always been, yeah, something that I, you know, still think is achievable. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's on my to-do list as well, actually, as it happens. Um, okay, that's good to know. Um, and what about, uh, you know, you mentioned judo and singing. Do you have any other hobbies or anything that you particularly enjoy outside of wrestling? I mean, I know from your Twitter recently, you seem to be quite an outdoorsy kind of guy. Uh, I like cooking. Mm. Um, when I first went to the States, uh, the uh, school cafeteria was just so bad that, you know, I needed to learn to cook to survive. <laughs> really? So, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and, you know, that was... What, 27 years ago or so. So I've been cooking for almost three decades now. So yeah, that's one thing I really like to do. Again, you know, it's something you can do without leaving the house. So yeah, no, I'm with you. The school yeah. um, cafeteria where I went, they used to serve up hot dogs, but they would cut off the ends. So <laughs> it was always as it, it, the, the rumor was that they were growing them somewhere and they need to cut the ends off to put them <laughs> in the ground. It was, it was the strangest right. thing. <laughs> I've never quite worked it out. I don't know why that popped into my head. Anyway, getting back to the wrestling then. So your time with Cyberfight obviously got to do a lot of fun and interesting things. Is there anything in particular that stands out as sort of fun memories from working there? Well, uh, I always go back to my basically first day on the job, right? So they sent out a memo saying, okay, so we have this guy uh, for all English matter. So send him any English, English related questions if you need anything. So the media guy sends me an email says, uh, hey, nice to meet you. Looking forward to working with you. How would I say this in English? So I reply to him, uh, looking forward to working with you too. Uh, regarding your question, that phrase, in English would translate to loser anal explosion match. Right. And so I'm sitting there thinking, geez, I get paid for doing this. This is like the dream job. So that was always fun. I was like, okay, so this is what my job is going to be like. So that was pretty exciting. And then uh, other than that, I guess uh, I mentioned DDT's New York show a little bit earlier and, you know, I wasn't in charge of anything, but I was advising on almost everything. So I was sort of effectively like the, you know, I got to play producer with like deciding on show names or logos or even ticket prices and, you know, right. who, go, who gets to go or, and then once I was there again, I was the only English speaker. So I was ready to do everything. I was ready to ring announce or be a commentator or uh, anything that would, uh, I would be required of doing. I ended up being the tech guy because we had a weapon rumble and, uh, you know, we had to make sure that uh, the countdown on the Tron was correct. And uh, the weapons came out, uh, the weapons needed to come out at the right timing. So, you know, I was in the back doing tech after I did the opening act, you know, I was on the ring and I welcomed everybody in and then I ran backstage and did tech. But uh, before that, I oh, also, wow. Jeez. yeah. I also went out to buy those weapons myself, right? Including toilet bowls and garbage cans. I went to like a Home Depot where I, you know, with Sensiro Takagi and, you know, chose the weapons. But the one thing we couldn't find was a bicycle. Okay. So what, 
what we ended up doing was, uh, you know, when we were discussing what we needed to do, the uh, owner of the promoter that was having us, uh, WWN Live, uh, he showed up on a bicycle. So we talked him into having him lend <laughs> it to <laughs> us. And yes, of, of course, we returned it broken, but, you know, that happened. And then as for the toilet bowl, we didn't want to, you know, bother with trying to get rid of it or, you know, haven't taken care of. So we autographed it and sold it for $10. And then the buyer, I think, ended up paying like $200 to ship it back to wherever he was living. <laughs> so that was also a fun experience. Oh, amazing. And the, the other big thing at the New York show was uh, Dino kissing audience members, right? So I told him that's a potential oh, lawsuit okay. in the US, right? <laughs> and I was like, uh, you know, I don't know, but I do understand that that's part of your act. And uh, we came to the conclusion, it was a brilliant idea. Uh, we, we said, okay, let's get consent by the fans. Let's have them raise their hands and we'll have, we'll make sure to get that on camera. So if a lawsuit happens, we can say that, you know, they want it, they asked for it, but he wasn't sure whether people were going to raise hands. So he said, uh, worst case, I might have to go after you as in me. Right. <laughs> but, you know, once the show started, everybody was raising their hands. So we didn't have to worry, but he Dino got so excited. <laughs> no, 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 no. He got so excited that he forgot about that. And he ended up uh, coming after me too. <laughs> oh, man. So I was doomed either way, but at least we didn't <laughs> have to go through any, you know, legal issues. So that was that. Perfect. Oh, yeah, wonderful. but all in all, yes, it, it's a very fun locker room and, uh, you know, not just like those key highlight moments, but in general, it's always fun to be around at all the shows. So you made your exit, um, which is quite a surprise to a number of people. So what's what's on the horizon? What's next for Mr. Haku? Right. So um, uh, back at DDT and CyberFight, I was doing media customer support, you know, or just giving them ideas on English names, English uh, proper nouns like shows or moves or characters. And I was basically doing everything. And uh, I came, you know, a thought came to mind that instead of doing everything for one promotion, maybe I should narrow down what I do best and do it with a wider base of wrestlers and promotions so that was the thinking and then uh in order to have wrestlers be able to connect better with foreign fans like i said at the beginning about you know and then generating more income for wrestlers and you know more content or deeper understanding for the fans mm -hmm. i'm thinking maybe well i'm already the uh official English guy for the freelance uh, summit nomads, which is a show that's coming up with just Joshi freelancers on uh, May 20th. And I'm still working. Show. Yes. Yes. And I'm also uh, doing, I'm still working with cyber fight in the sense that I'm doing uh, English commentary for Gambare pro. So that's still there, but I'm thinking that I maybe, you know, the best thing for me to do is a, YouTube channel where I focus on uh, interviews with full English subtitles 
so that the Japanese wrestlers can speak comfortably and then the international fan base can understand what's being said at the same time. But, you know, everything, all of this, all the tasks that I will have to do, including the editing and uploading is all very new to me. So I still have uh, so many things to figure out before that comes to fruition. But I can say right now that, uh, I don't know, maybe... I already have 10 or so wrestlers that are willing to uh, take that interview if that happens. And then maybe another dozen or so if I can get, you know, Cyberfight on board too. And uh, yes. And I have, you know, having been away from Cyberfight for a couple of months, I've talked to wrestlers from other promotions too, not just freelancers. So I don't know if you can call this a forbidden door item but you know me working <laughs> me working with some other promotions could be a reality and i'd really like to say you know when i i've shared some of my thoughts that i just mentioned on twitter and i've already received a lot of support including people sending me money so you know a big thank you to the fans who have you know done that without anything to show for yet and uh, other than that, I guess I'm also thinking about podcasts because it's easier the, uh, when I don't have to get guests and when I don't have to subtitle everything. Yeah. But then again, 100%. I don't. But then I don't know what I would talk about. So um, you know, people should DM me or send me tweets about things I can talk about that they would be, you know, about Japanese pro wrestling. That, yeah, I know, think people would be interested in just your views in general on a on a week to week basis because you you've been so much more closely involved than most listeners will ever get the chance to be. You know that sort of insight is hard to come by. I just don't know what you know because I can't cover everything, so I would have to think about what promotions to prioritize, or I think I need a general focus on what I do as opposed to trying to do everything. So I guess that's where I am right now trying to, you know, prioritize and focus on what to cover and also the uh, medium through which I should share the content. Well, I think that'll be music to a lot of people's ears because, you know, one thing that we've certainly found and we've discussed this off air before is that there's, there's a real hunger for this sort of content you know people want to hear from the japanese wrestlers they want to get to know more so the more opportunities that the wrestlers have to show themselves as it were you know the 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 more the business is gonna uh, grow you know there's there really is that insatiable desire um from fans you know the fans of japanese pro wrestling generally i think are far more invested and sort of willing to part with time and cash in order to support what they enjoy um that's certainly my interpretation anyway so and that's a very exciting thing indeed not just for the listeners but for the wrestlers and of course for yourself as well so i I have no doubt you'll make a huge success of it um folks if you have any ideas obviously send them out a tweet you know let's 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 get this show on the road what do you want to hear from mr haku um Give this guy all your ideas. 
Um, right. So- if if I win the lottery, you know, I just do whatever, but and you know, just work on content that whatever I feel is fun to do. But to make this financially viable, so that I can keep doing it, I I think I I feel the need to you know find a sweet spot where there's enough interest, and also because I want the wrestlers to get paid before I do. Because that's the whole point of doing this. So, you know, I want to make sure that there's enough money that goes around to the wrestlers. And then maybe, you know, a fraction of that comes my, my way, just enough so that I can keep the lights on. You're very much fighting the good fight. And uh, we appreciate you for doing so. Um, you've been incredibly generous with your time. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's, it's been a real pleasure to get to know you a bit more. Before you go, anything you'd like to plug? Okay, so uh, so far, uh, just I guess my social media, my Twitter is at Mr. Hakusan because Mr. Haku was not available. You know, some guy with two followers has the account. So if you know that guy, please ask him to hand over the account so that I can, you know, try to get a business going here. But other than that, uh, I do have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kotatsu Studios. No videos there yet, but if anything does pop up, that's where it's all going to be. So, you know, please. I'm already overwhelmed that I have like almost 300 subscribers with no video up. So, you know, I want to see how far I can take it without actually putting a video up. That would be interesting to see. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, folks, you, you've heard it here first. This is the place to to go and and support Mr. Haku and all this exciting new content, which will eventually be coming, or, or not. Either way, just just subscribe and we'll see how far that that train's going to travel. But anyway, look, it's been an absolute absolute pleasure to speak to you once again. Thanks very much for your time. I'm really excited to see what you do next. Yeah. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'll probably talk to you again uh, as a translator for some other interviews too looking forward to it all right folks we'll be back after this and we're back and that was the wonderful mr haku there you go thanks so much to mr haku for coming on a really interesting guy i do hope as i said we can do this more often it's uh he's he's an interesting cat and i'd like to continue finding out more and also keeping up to date with what he's doing because it sounds like he's got some big plans Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm really pumped to kind of see what he kicks out. Um, you know, he's got a lot of ideas swirling around. So excited to see when they come to fruition. Yeah, 100%. And uh, obviously we'll be uh, waiting on our invite on the post as well for when we make <laughs> it over to Japan. Um, uh, I should say as well, um, a few uh, more imminent projects. Uh, Mr. Haku is going to be on English commentary for Gangbari Pro Wrestling on May 3rd, which is going to be on Wrestle Universe. So do check that one out. Um, I love the stuff they're doing in Gangbari yeah. at the second. Lots of good stuff. So do, do take the time if you get the opportunity. And also, just to say the Nomads uh, Freelance Summit going down on May 20th. Man, have you seen that card? That well, let's run through it now real quick because it is a crazy card. So let's just talk about a couple of the big matches. Main event scene, uh, Rini Yamashita, Mayu Hiki, uh, Miyuki Takase, and Ryu Mizunami. Wow. Wow. What a crazy match. Talk about like an all-star match. All-star match. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. That's really exciting. And then Asuka and Yu against Saki and Sayori Anori. Um I'm really interested to see what uh, Asuka and you tag team looks like. I think it's going to be really good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah. And, you know, Kahu Kobayashi is back. Kerry Oniyama's on the card. Oh, yeah. Friend of the show. Indeed. Yes. Wild, isn't it? Um, there's, there's loads. So do check them out if you get an opportunity. I think that's going to be a really exciting card. I'm really pumped up for that one. And we'll keep you up to date on where you can watch that one. But in the meantime, check them out on Twitter. It's at Nomads underscore FS. Nomads underscore FS. You can keep up to date. Mr. Haku's on the English uh, side of that says so plenty for you not just having to translate constantly uh, <laughs> there we go two episodes in one week down completed uh, we're back next week potentially with another interview potentially linked to the show we just talked about but let's not give too much away keep some powder dry and uh, we'll see you next week so uh, folks thanks as always for your company do let us know what you thought of the interview and the show in general on Twitter and Instagram. It's at wrestling pod. That's wrestling about the E or send us an email. It's at, at wrestling pod at gmail.com. Again, wrestling about the E all the links you'll need for places to listen. And Gareth and myself's personal Twitters are wrestling pod.com again, wrestling about the E really useful. If you want to share us with your friends, that link. That's it. And on that very note, we do bang on about it, but if you would be so kind as to, drop us a review um, on your podcast platform of choice or a rating. Honestly, I can't emphasize enough how much it helps. So if you're able to do that, we'd be eternally grateful. And that pretty much does it for this week. G, anything more from you? No, just there's some great wrestling this weekend and I hope everybody enjoys it. Yeah, big up Slexi, big up May. Uh, exciting opportunities for those folks. So really excited for them. Do check out their shows on uh, Stardom World and on Wrestle Universe, respectively. Man, there's loads to get into. So just have a wonderful weekend. Be happy, be safe and enjoy the grabs. Thank you.